0: Well, hey there, it's Adam Schell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode sermon, we are finishing up our recalculating series, where we've been talking about what we can do when our plans change. So in the last couple of episodes, we've talked about the fact that having your plans change isn't necessarily a bad thing, and it may actually mean that God has something bigger in store for you. And we've talked about how we can face the uncertainty that comes with change by reaching out to God instead of being afraid. And in this episode, we're going to talk about finding that new direction for our lives, for our path, after our plans change. So let's get right into this week's sermon. In his best-selling book entitled Blue Like Jazz, Donald Miller, the author, tells this incredible story. The story comes from his time as a student at Reed College in Portland, Oregon. And This is how he tells it. He writes... Each year at Reed College, they have a festival that they call Rin Fair, where they shut down the campus so that the students there can party. Now, some of the Christian students in our little group, we decided that this was a pretty good place at Rin Fair to let everybody know that there were at least a few Christians on campus. And I had a great idea. I told them that we should build a confession booth right in the middle of campus, and paint on it a sign that said, Confess your sins. But here's the catch. We aren't going to accept their confessions. We are going to confess to them. We are going to confess to them that as followers of Jesus, we've not been very loving. We're going to confess to them that we have been bitter. We're going to confess to them, and we're going to tell them that we're sorry for what we've done. We're going to apologize for the Crusades, and apologize for televangelists, and apologize for neglecting the poor and the lonely. And then we're going to ask them to forgive us. And we'll tell them that in our selfishness, we have misrepresented who Jesus is on this campus. We'll tell the people who come into our booth that Jesus loves them. Well, the next morning, while everybody was sleeping off the effects of partying from the night before, two of my friends and I, we started building this confession booth. As the campus started to gather energy that day, with people walking along the sidewalks, they would stop and they would ask us what we were doing. They would stand there and they would look at our booth and wonder, and they'd say, what are we supposed to do? Confess your sins, we tell them. To who? They'd ask. To God, we would tell them. There is no God, they would explain. Some of them told us that this was the boldest thing that they could ever remember happening on campus. All of them were kind to us, which was kind of surprising to us. But by the time that our booth was set up, I thought, nobody's going to come in here. Nobody's going to come in here and confess anything because who wants to stop dancing and partying and having a good time to come and confess their sins. That's when I realized that this whole thing, it was a bad idea. None of this was God's idea. Nobody was going to get angry with us, but nobody was going to care very much about what we were doing either. I was just about to go out and tell Tony that I didn't want to do this anymore when he opened up the curtain into our little confessional booth, and he told me that we had our first customer. What's up, man, he asked as he sat himself down uh, with a smile on his face. I asked him what his name was, and he said that his name was Jake. I shook his hand because it was awkward and I didn't know what else to do. So what is this supposed to be? I'm supposed to tell you all the juicy gossip that I've done at Renfair, right? Jake said. No. Okay, then what? What's the game, he asked. Well, it's not really a game. It's more of a confession thing. You want me to confess my sins to you, right? No, that's not what we're doing, really. Well, what's the deal, man? Well, well, we're a group of Christians here on campus, you know. I see, it's kind of a strange place for Christians, but I'm listening. Thanks, I told him. He was being pretty patient and, generous and gracious and generous with his time. Anyway, there's this group of us on campus, just a few of us who were thinking about the way that Christians have sort of wronged people over time, you know, like the Crusades and all that stuff. Well, I doubt that you were personally involved with any of that, man. No, I wasn't, I told him. But here's the thing. We are followers of Jesus. We believe that Jesus is God and that he represented certain ideas that we've sort of not done a great job of representing ourselves. He asked us to represent him well, but it can be hard. I see, Jake said. So there's this group of us on campus who wanted to confess to you. You're confessing to me, Jake said with a bit of a laugh. Yeah, we're confessing to you. I mean, mean I'm confessing to you. You're serious? his laugh had now turned into something of a straight face. And I told him that I was. He looked at me and he told me that I didn't have to. But I told him that I did, because in that moment, I felt very strongly that I was supposed to tell Jake that I was sorry about everything. So what are you confessing, he asked. Well, there's a lot, but I'm going to try to keep it short, I started. Jesus said to feed the poor and to heal the sick. I've never done very much of that. Jesus said to love those who persecute me, but I tend to lash out, especially if I feel threatened, you know, if my ego gets hurt. Jesus didn't mix his spirituality with politics, but I grew up doing that, and it got in the way of the central message of Christ. I know I was wrong, and I know that a lot of people will not listen to the words of Jesus because of people like me, who know him, but carry our own agendas into the conversations that we have rather than just relaying the message that Jesus wants to get across. There's a lot more that I could confess, you know. It's all right, man, Jake said very tenderly. His eyes were starting to water. Well, I said, clearing my throat, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all that. I forgive you, Jake said, and he meant it. Now, I'm sharing this story with you this morning because over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about our need as a church to recalculate where we're headed after all of the changes that we've been facing over the last few months and the last couple of years. And this story that Donald Miller tells does a pretty good job of explaining why We need to recalculate. We need to recalculate for the same reasons that Donald Miller and his friends decided that they needed to set up that confessional booth on the campus of Reed College all those years ago. They set up that booth because they realized that as Christians, they had lost their way. They weren't being exactly who God made them to be and they weren't doing exactly what God had called them to do. They were letting other things get in the way of them living out their faith. So by setting up that booth right in the middle of campus, they were recalculating their faith and the way that everyone around them would experience what it means to be followers of Jesus. Now, it's hard to admit this, but over the years, we've let other things get in the way of us living out our faith the way that God wants us to live out our faith here at Melbourne Heights, too. And what I'm about to say, it's going to sound harsh, it's not going to be easy to hear, it's not easy to say, but it needs to be said to all of us this morning. Because over the years, we've been so focused on where we do church that we've forgotten what it means for us to be the church. Over the years, we've let ourselves get so focused on where we do church that we, we've forgotten what it means for us to really be the church. So just like Donald Miller and his friends, when they put this confessional together to confess their sins to the world around them, we need to accept and admit that we've lost our way, that we've let other things get in the way, that we need to recalculate what it means for us to really be followers of Jesus. And to help us do that this morning, I want to share with you another story. And in this story, we're essentially going to find Jesus in a church on a Sunday morning. And he's going to be helping people in this passage there. He's going to help people in this passage of Scripture remember what it means to really follow him. So go ahead and grab your Bible. Turn with me to Luke chapter 13. Luke is one of the four Gospels. These Gospels, they're basically biographies of Jesus, telling us about who Jesus is, what Jesus did, telling us about his life, his death, his resurrection. And in this story, like I said, we're going to see Jesus going into a synagogue, a place of worship, and he's going to help the people there remember what it means to be followers of God. So we're going to start reading together in Luke chapter 13 with verse 10. Here's what Luke writes. As Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over, couldn't stand up straight. When he saw her, Jesus called her to him and said, "Woman, you were free. You were set free from your sickness." And he placed his hands on her, and she straightened up at once, and she praised God. So these couple of verses here, it's setting the stage for us. And in these couple of verses, we see that Jesus, he's he's teaching in a synagogue. And when this woman, who has been disabled for 18 years, needs his help. And what does Jesus do in this passage? Well, he helps her. He helps this woman. He heals her. But what I want you to really listen to is what happens next in this story. Because what happens next in this story, it shows us that the other people in the synagogue, that they had lost their way. That they had forgotten what it really meant for them to follow God. So we're going to start reading again in verse 14. I want you to pay attention to what happens here. Luke tells us that the synagogue leader was incensed that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He responded, there are six days during which work is permitted Come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Did you hear what happened in verse 14? In verse 14, the synagogue leader, he comes rushing on to the scene. And did you hear how Luke described the attitude of the synagogue leader? Luke tells us that he is incensed. He's not mad, he's not angry, he is burning with anger. And he's burning with anger because Jesus dared to heal someone on the Sabbath. Now, here's the tricky part for us. Because sometimes we can think we're doing exactly what God wants us to do, but we get misled, and that's what we're going to see when we think deeper about the story. Because here's the deal. The synagogue leader, he actually has a point in being incensed about what had happened. The synagogue leader actually has a point for being mad about Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And he has a point, because in Deuteronomy chapter 5, which is in the Old Testament, We're given this commandment. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 and following tell us to keep the Sabbath day, honor the Sabbath day, and treat it as holy, exactly as the Lord your God commanded. For six days you may work and do all of your tasks, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, a day of rest to the Lord your God. So don't do any work on it. Not you, not your sons, not your daughters, not your male servants, not your female servants, not your oxes, not your donkeys, or any of your animals, not the immigrant who is living among you, so that your male and your female servants can rest just like you. So in these verses in Deuteronomy chapter 5, which is Deuteronomy gives us their version of the Ten Commandments, and we're told, we're told there that we are supposed to refrain from doing any work on the Sabbath. We're not supposed to work on the Sabbath at all. And here Jesus is in Luke chapter 13. He is healing someone on the Sabbath. And I bet if you were to walk into a hospital today and you were to ask the doctors or the nurses there that if when they are healing a patient or treating a patient, if what they were doing is considered work, that every single one of them would tell you yes. So in Luke 13, Jesus is working on the Sabbath but in Luke 13 verse 15 Jesus is going to help us and he's going to help this poor misguided synagogue leader recalculate he's going to remind him that in spite of what you just read in Deuteronomy chapter 5 there's more to following Jesus there's more to following God so here's what Jesus tells him in Luke 13 starting in verse 15 says, the Lord replied, Hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath day untie your ox or donkey from its stall and lead it out to get a drink. Then isn't it necessary that this woman, a daughter of Abraham who has been bound by Satan for 18 long years, be set free from her bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said these things, All his opponents were put to shame. But all those in the crowd rejoiced at the extraordinary things he was doing. So in these couple of verses, Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He flat out calls the synagogue leader and everyone that shares his opinion about working on the Sabbath day, he calls them a hypocrite. He tells them that they value their farm animals more than they value other children of Abraham, other people. And Jesus does this, not only because it's right, but he also does this because he remembers what it really means to be a follower of God. He does this because he remembers the the heart of what's really happening in Deuteronomy chapter 5 when we were told not to work on the Sabbath. He remembers the part of Deuteronomy chapter 5 where God actually explains to the people why he says not to work on the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy 5.15, we're told, remember that you were a slave in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out of there with his strong strong hand and outstretched arm. That's why the Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath. So in Deuteronomy 5.15, he tells us why. God commands us. He commands the people of Israel not to work on the Sabbath, For a reason. And the reason is that God wants them to remember that there was a time in their history when they didn't get a day off from work. There was a time in their history when they were enslaved and they were forced to labor seven days a week. 52 weeks out of the year. Every single year. So God tells them, rest on the Sabbath. Let your servants rest on the Sabbath for a reason. Remember where you came from and remember what I did for you. Remember that I set you free. I set you free. God stepped in. God helped these people who were enslaved by setting them free. This is the exact same thing that God has always wanted us as his children, as his followers, as his people to do. From the very beginning of our story with God, God has always wanted us to do this exact same thing. The same thing that he did for the people of Israel, the same thing that Jesus does for this woman in Luke 13. He has always wanted us to help other people. I mean, here's what God tells Abraham, the father of our faith, when God is making his initial covenant with Abraham way back in the early chapters of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham that all the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. This is the heart of why God chose Abraham. Why God picked the person to start this faith journey with from the very beginning. God has always wanted his people, his followers, to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. This is what God has always called us to do. And if we have the choice between blessing others and not blessing others, God always wants us to pick blessing others. That's why it was okay for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath. Jesus was overlooking one rule that said, don't. This woman is in need, she's right in front of you right now, but don't help her. To do what God has always told us to do, to bless someone else. And here's the beauty of what God says to Abraham in in this verse here. Because the word, the word that God uses in this passage for blessed is the Hebrew word barak. And sometimes the word Barak is translated as "bless." Sometimes this word is translated as worship. Sometimes this word is translated as praise. But this word has a deep, it has a rich understanding that we have to understand to know what it means for us to be a blessing to the peoples of the earth. The word Barak means to kneel down. That's why it's used in the context of worship and praise. It's telling us to kneel down before God. But in the context of blessing other people, it's telling us that we are supposed to kneel down before all the families of the earth. We are supposed to humble ourselves before the other people around us. We are supposed to put them and their needs above us and our needs. We're supposed to bless all the families of the earth by serving them. And as we as a church have gone through so many changes and possible plans about what the future may hold for us. This is the direction that God has always been trying to point us back into. God has always been trying to point us back in this direction to help us recalculate, to remember the path we were always supposed to be on to get back to the route that God always wanted us to follow. God has been recalculating for us to remind us what it means for us to follow Him. And following God means that we must bless all the families of the earth. Following God means that we must bless all the families of the earth. And if we're not, if we're not blessing other people on this planet, if we're not blessing people outside the walls of this church, if we're not serving others, then we're not being who God called us to be. We're not doing what God called us to do. Because this is what we're here for. This is what we're here for. We are supposed to be a blessing to others. We are supposed to be serving others. We are supposed to be here for others. And whether we realize this or not, God is at work right now giving us the chance to do this. Right now, God is giving us the chance to really invest as a church into people around us, to invest in our community, to invest in our neighbors, to invest in all the families of the earth. And if we really stop and we think about what the last few decades have been like at Melbourne Heights, we see that we haven't been able to do a whole lot of this blessing of all the families of the earth as a church. Over the last 20 years, we've spent more and more of our budget every year on our mortgage and the maintenance of this building. And every year, we've had to spend less and less on the ministries and the mission work of this church. So as we look toward the future, God is giving us an incredible chance. A chance to follow Him in a new direction that has always been the original direction. So instead of falling into old habits right now and over-investing in a property, overextending ourselves, God is giving us the chance to think about doing church in a completely different way. I mean, Imagine, just for a second, what it would be like to do church in a way that requires a minimal financial commitment to the space that we actually worship in so that we can maximize the way that we can minister and serve and bless the world. Or to put another way for you, right now as I look and I think about what God is doing in our church and for our church, God is giving us the chance to spend less money on property so that we can really invest into people. And that's what God has always wanted. That's what God has always wanted. And we're going to talk more about this at our business meeting later today. But I want to take just a minute to explain one way, one way that we can really start to invest in people that are in need in the world immediately around our church building right now. So over the last few weeks, our relaunch team has been studying what's called a ministry profile for our area. And inside of this ministry profile, we've been learning a whole lot about what the community around us, uh, about their needs, about their wants, about what's happening in the community all around us. And we've learned some of the ways that people in our area are hurting. We've we've learned some of the ways that people in our area are hurting. We've learned what their, their biggest concerns and worries in life are. And you may or may not realize this, but there are plenty of people within just a couple of miles of where you're sitting at right now that are worried about things like the safety of their neighborhoods and the spread of violent crime that is happening across our community. Within just a couple of miles of this building where we're sitting at right now, there are people who are hurting financially and who want to know how they can be more secure with their money in the future. Within a couple of miles of this building, there are plenty of people who are feeling overwhelmed by life, stressed out by about everything, and completely alone. Like, nobody cares. And you know what? We don't spend a whole lot of time talking about any of these kind of things in church. We don't talk about the problems that are happening in our neighborhoods. We don't talk about the rise of violent crime that is happening, even in the blocks surrounding our building. We don't spend a lot of time talking about money and the financial problems that people are really having every day to make ends meet. And we definitely don't spend a whole lot of time talking about stress and the loneliness that people in our community feel every single day. So here's what we've learned. We've learned that we need to change. That in the future, that when we come and we gather together for worship, that we need to spend a lot more time talking about the real concerns that people have. So that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to commit to spending months out of every single year thinking about these real world issues and problems that people face all the time. Talking about what's going on in our neighborhoods and the issues of safety and concerns that people have with that. Talking about finances and what we can all do to have a more stable and secure financial future. Talking about the problems of loneliness and isolation inside of our community, because there are plenty of people even sitting inside of our church who won't speak to another human being until the next time you come to church. So there are folks who are living in the neighborhoods around you, the apartment complexes with you, that don't see anybody the entire week. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to address these real problems that we know people in our world are having right now. Things that they are facing every day. But we're not going to stop at just talking about their problems, okay? We're going to go the extra mile and make sure that people who are outside of our church know that we're going to be talking about these problems. We want to make sure that they know about it. So we've been working on developing a plan where we're going to have to commit to spend you know, a few thousand dollars every single year to make sure that the word gets out to at least 10,000 people immediately surrounding our church to let them know that we are going to be talking about issues that affect them. So that we can say to them that we care about you. We want to help you. We want to serve you. And we don't just want to help you. We don't just want to serve you the way that we want to do it. We want to meet you where you're hurting right now. And give you safe places where we can talk about, where we can think about the things that are happening in our neighborhoods, the things that are happening in our finances, the stresses, the worries, the isolation that we feel in life. And that's just the beginning of what God is opening up. You know, that's a few thousand dollars that God, that we, that God is freeing up for us to possibly reach out to thousands of people. That's just the beginning of what we're going to be able to do to bless all the people of the earth by refocusing on what God has always called us to do, to serve people, to bless people. I mean, realize this. For the first time in decades, almost in the entire 60-year history of this church, we have struggled with finances and money and buildings and maintenance and all of that stuff. So for the first time in decades, God is giving us the chance to really serve our community the way that God has always wanted us to, Not on a shoestring budget where we're just barely squeaking things together because we just can barely make it fit into our finances. But we're going to be able to do this with real financial investments. I mean, just imagine for a second what we could do for something like the Salvation Army's Angel Tree Program. You know, in three years, we've helped 250 kids and their families celebrate Christmas. But imagine how much more we could do. Or think about what we do every Easter. Uh, in the lead-up to every Easter for the Cabbage Patch House, when we fill this side of the stage with tangible items uh, that range from personal hygiene items to pantry items that we give to the Cabbage Patch House to help them as they serve over 1,000 at-risk kids and their families in our community. Think about what we can do with Habitat for Humanity. This church has worked with Habitat for Humanity for over 20 years, helped build 25-plus homes. But imagine what we can do when we no longer have to make decisions based on the size of our bank account, and we can start making decisions based on the size of the needs of people around us. Right now, God's giving us that chance. God is giving us an incredible opportunity to redirect, to get back on the path that God has always wanted us to follow. And this isn't an opportunity that many churches ever get. We're being given the chance to follow God in a brand new direction for us that has always been the direction that God has wanted us to follow. A direction that allows us to do what God has always called us to do and to be who God has always wanted us to be. God is giving us the chance to bless all the families of the earth. So now it's time for us to proceed to the root that God has recalculated for us to follow God in this new and different direction for our church so that we can serve like God has always called us to serve. So that we can bless like God has always called us to bless. So that we can do what God has always wanted us to do. So that we can be who God has always wanted us to be. Let's pray together. God, you know the journey that this congregation has been on for the last few years. You know, the ups and downs, the twists and the turns, the numerous times that we've had to step back and try to recalculate. God, we thank you that you have always been working in the background, always working around us to help us get back to the path, the route that you want us to follow. So God, our prayer now is that you let us do it. You let us do it. You encourage us to take a bold step of faith, to explore doing church in a way that we haven't done it before, so that we can reach people in ways that we haven't done that before either. But it takes that bold faith, it takes the confidence to know that we're moving in the right direction. God, you have shown us definitively, time and time again, throughout Scripture, throughout our lives, what you want us to be as your followers. You want us to be servants, you want us to be blessings. So God, let us have this bold faith and be who you always have called us to be. Let us follow you wherever you lead. We pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Hey, it's Adam again, and thank you for listening to this episode of our sermon podcast. I hope that this episode has helped you to figure out how you can get back on the right track when your plans change. Because as followers of Jesus, our path is always the same. Our path is supposed to lead us to bless other people. Now, in our next episode, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite ways that Melbourne Heights is a blessing to our community, and that's through our work with the Salvation Army's Angel Tree Program. Over the last three years, our church has helped make the Christmas dreams of almost 250 kids and their families a reality. So in our next episode, we're going to talk about how we do that, and why we do that. That episode will drop next Tuesday, and if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. Now, before I go, I just want to tell you that just because this episode's coming to an end, I hope that you don't forget what you've heard today, because your plans are going to change. But let those changes lead you back to where you're supposed to go, and that's always going to be down the road to bless others. We'll see you back here next Tuesday for another sermon podcast.